You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Today's vocal passage is John 17, 20 through 26, and it will be up on the screens. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love in which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. You can now have a seat, and the kids can be dismissed to their class. Good morning. What's up? Good morning. Uh, my name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors here of The Village. It's good to see you guys today. Um, real quick, I'm going to start by reading a, a text, which is weird. Uh, this is from Pastor Michael, and so um, uh, I don't know, pretend like I'm talking with a slight Trenton twang or whatever. Uh, this is what he said. Uh, hey, so my weekend took an unexpected turn. Long story short, I got pretty dizzy, lightheaded, and pale, paler than I usually am. Uh, on Saturday, to the point where even standing up and walking across the room was difficult without feeling like I was going to faint. Uh, Kim took me to the hospital, and that's where I am, slash will be, uh, Sunday morning. That's right now. Uh, it's possible that I have some sort of GI bleeding that's making me feel so weak. We're figuring out what's up. Uh, in good hands, and I'm feeling decent, not in pain or anything. Thanks for your prayer. So uh, that's where he is uh, today. Just want to give you guys a heads up about that. Um, we can be praying for him. I know uh, I got to chat with him via text a little bit last night. He is in good spirits. Uh, he was, I told him like, hey, this counts towards your sabbatical days um, or whatever. It's uncalled for. Uh, and he reacted with a laugh emoji. And so that was good. And we exchanged some gifs or whatever. So uh, that's great. Uh, we just get to let him kind of be a dad and a husband and a a patient, um, whatever it looks like for Michael Graham to be a, a patient. Uh, I have no idea. I hope they can find BattleBots on TV somewhere so we can settle down a little bit. But um, we just want uh, you guys, we know you probably want to do stuff, know more, all those things. We just want to give them space uh, to be just a family for a bit. We will let you know uh, if there are things that you can do or things that they want you to know. We will pass that along. Uh, Matt will probably chat a little bit about uh, stuff at the end of the gathering, things to be mindful of this week that you can be encouraging them with. But uh, yeah, just wanted to pass that on to you guys and certainly invite uh, you all to join me right now uh, and pray for our morning together and certainly for, for Michael. Uh, God, we give you thanks for today. Uh, thank you for this morning. Um, 
What a sweet thing that we get to gather here, that your church, uh, it's not built on me uh, or Matt or Adam or Michael or any of the other people that are here. Your church is built and established by Jesus. Uh, What a sweet thing that we still get to gather. We get to sing to you and about you. We get to hear from you, uh, and, and we get to be stirred in worship towards you today. Um, And so we pray for healing uh, across the board today. We certainly pray for healing for Michael, uh, that you would continue to help uh, him figure out what's going on, that you give the nurses and and the doctors and folks that are trying to figure out what's up, that they would give, you would give them some wisdom and some clarity, God, that you would give them peace as they're going through uh, just uncertainty. Um, God, we pray for healing for a number of other families and people who are going through things, uh, medical and otherwise here that are part of the village. Uh, You are God who heals. Um, and so we pray to you that you would help do that for our folks. Um, and so we want everyone who's going through something, I pray that you would let them be known and, and know that they are loved and cared for, um, even if we're uh, distant because they're in hotel rooms or uh, hospital rooms, rather, or wherever they're at. Um, they know that they're not by themselves, that they are thought of, loved, cared for. They are part of this family and this community uh, just as much as anybody else. God, we pray for spiritual healing uh, today um, as we look at your word and look at unity and, and reconciliation and peace and these sorts of things that are really tough and hard and easy to put down on a piece of paper or hope for, but they're much more difficult to trust you with and to walk in obedience to. We pray uh, for spiritual healing uh, in those things. We know that many of us in here have been hurt by people, um, and many of us in here have done the hurting against others as well. And so would you help us? Uh, be reconciled, not just to you, but to one another, um, to find peace and joy in the goodness of the gospel. God, and that you would heal and reconcile relationships, even this morning as we're sitting here uh, and as we're listening to your good word. And so we pray for healing across the board in all the ways and all the things. And God, you're going to do stuff that we don't even know about, don't even know to ask for. And so this morning is yours. Do what you will. uh, And we give you thanks. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right. So uh, if you don't know, uh, Matt, uh, and Michael, they were the first uh, two dudes who, were, uh, who are now pastors here at the village that kind of kicked this stuff off. They, they knew each other a while back. They talked about planting a church uh, before this thing is, was, what it is today. Um, and, and they were here on day zero, right? Like before day one. I showed up later on day one. And then uh, Pastor Adam, he showed up on day two or three or sometime a little bit, uh, a little bit later. And it's just kind of been the four of us uh, for for a little while now, and if you were here at last week's family meeting, you got to hear that uh, David Kreklau, David, are you here today? Is he here somewhere? No? Oh, good. Now I can rip on him without fear. Uh, but, but David Kreklau, we announced that he is, uh, he, well, he's a deacon here right now. He's been leading groups for a long time, done a lot of stuff, but he, had, uh, he is now uh, an elder candidate here at, uh, at the village, which means that uh, there's a chance, David, a very, very small chance that sometime in the future, you might become an elder uh, here at the village. And so uh, that's, that's pretty dang exciting to have maybe a, a fifth uh, guy who gets to join uh, us in our group here. But um, it's also something that we're super careful about. Even though we're super excited about it, we're also super careful about that. Not because we don't think David's qualified, all right? Uh, not because David's a, a loose cannon or a, a drama queen, right, or anything like that. Um, but because it's been the four of us for so long, and, and we get along. We, like, we work so well uh, together that the thought of adding a fifth person, well, it's like, like, what if that throws off our vibe, you know? Like, what if that messes up the feng shui of, like, how the four of us do stuff? What if he's the Yoko Ono, right, to our Beatles? Like, what if he breaks up the band? 
And so for us, it's like, it's not just character that matters. It's not just competency that we consider for future elders. It's compatibility as well. Um, not like match.com or eHarmony or whatever, like, not like an online dating profile matching thing, but the way that we go about ministry, like our approach to people, to conflict, to, to culture, like to discipleship, like what matters to the life of the local church? And if we have to give something up, what would that be? Are we on the same page on those things? Like, can we, can we goof around and enjoy each other? And, and can we be honest with each other? Can we critique and push back and, and say honest things and, and call out stuff? Can we hear each other rightly and say things rightly to one another? If those things can't happen, then like if we can't learn and, and grow and challenge and laugh together, that, that like it might mean we have the same theology, right? But, but man, and we might all be good dudes, but, but maybe we wouldn't lead well together, right? Like that's a, that's a real thing. There's a, a sweet unity that we want to preserve. And, and to be clear, when I asked David for a picture uh, to put up online sometime so that we could just celebrate the fact that he's now uh, an elder candidate, he sent me a photo of him. I'm not putting up on the screen, David, if you listen or watch this. I'm not doing that. I could have, but I won't. Uh, there's a, he sent me a photo of him like in sunglasses and a beanie making a goofy smile. And so I think we're going to get along. Like, okay, I think it's going to be all right. Um, but, but it's a sweet unity that exists. Also, David, send me a photo. I need a photo of you. Um, it's a sweet unity that exists currently, and it is a sweet unity that we want to preserve as we add more elders. And, and we're willing to say yes, and we're willing to say no to make sure that that, that happens. And this is a bit of a window into where Jesus kind of finds himself as he's praying for the church in this morning's uh, focal passage. It's, it's the future church, actually, that he's praying for, the church that didn't exist yet, which in some funny way, it actually includes this church right now. Jesus, in this passage, was praying for the village church as it is today and has, hopefully it will be down the road in the future um, if David doesn't screw it up, right? So I'm just kidding, David. I'm ripping on you just because you're not here. I'm sorry. We love you a lot. Uh, if you would open your, your Bibles to John 17, 20 through 23, um, this is uh, the second part of Jesus' prayer. Uh, it, it's often called like the, the high priestly prayer. That's what uh, chapter 17 is called. It takes up the whole chapter. And for a few chapters before this one, he's been saying uh, his last words to his disciples before he is arrested and tried uh, and killed on the cross. So he's trying to tee them up for what's about to happen. And he ends uh, not with a, a raising of the glass. He doesn't do like an all hands in, like go team kind of thing. He ends it with a prayer. He goes to the Father with his wants and his desires for his people. And he began last week with, with his desire for the people who were already around him, uh, like just to know who he is, God in the flesh, sent from the Father. Uh, he, he went to, to God to ask like that the people around him would know who they are right, that they are his, and that they would know how to live in light uh, of Jesus. And this week, uh, in this part of Jesus' prayer, he sets his eyes on the new people who are going to join the church one day, who are going to greet people on the way in. They're going to, you know, pass out weeklies and play in the band and do the welcome and clean the bathrooms and all the things, care for people. Uh, he begins to pray for them because the church has a future, and that future is glory. And, and this is the main idea of today's, uh, today's sermon, that the church has a future together in glory. So let's read 
John 17, just those first four verses, 20 through 23. Jesus says this. He says, I do not ask for these only, the people around him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Our first point this morning is this, that the church has a future together. The church has a future together. Uh, if you've ever had a, like a new kid join the class like halfway through the year, or maybe you get a new coworker uh, at some point or some person like newly just shows up at your community group at some point, like you know how the presence of one new person can, can like totally change the feel of, of the whole thing, right? Like everyone knew their groove. They knew what to expect. Like they knew how to get along. They knew how to take each other's jokes, all that stuff. And now you have some like some new human and you don't know how to like take their jokes that they make, right? You're not sure how to, how to read them. Maybe they play kickball better than you. Maybe they're better at their job uh, than you. Maybe they're asking a bunch of questions and talking about stuff that you don't care about. You think's getting in the way of what's supposed to happen uh, that evening. You're like, okay, I know that we get to be welcoming, I know that we get to be hospitable, all that stuff, but also this just feels like really inconvenient at the moment. And it would honestly be easier if it was like just us. Like we, just, we never grew, never changed, never added anybody new. We, we had a good thing going. Like is it just too much to ask that we just sort of keep things the way that they are? And then there's Jesus not asking God for new people to join the church someday, but, but he's assuming that that is going to happen. Like, because he's assuming that the people in front of him were going to invite new people into the church. Like, this small group of disciples, they were hanging out together for years. Like, they know each other. They know how to take each other's jokes. They know how to, like, cook each other's fish. Right? They probably know who snores and who doesn't snore and all that stuff. Uh, and, and now they're going to invite strangers, like, to, to join them. Like, he, Jesus assumes that, that some of those people are going to, to believe in Jesus and actually want to follow Jesus. And he assumes that the church has a growing future. That is, that's a hope. Like that is a future reality that he is already banking on. His ask, like what Jesus is asking for is that as they grow, they all might be on the same page about stuff, which implies a bit that, oh, shoot, maybe they won't be all the time. Those new people are going to have new ideas. They're, they're going to come from different backgrounds. They're going to have different preferences, different sensitivities. Maybe inviting new people into this newfangled thing called the church will be a little complicated as it gets bigger, as it grows. It's going to be a little awkward, probably frustrating and inconvenient in lots of ways. And Kelly and I were part of a church that, like years and years ago, like I'll never forget, um, one of the pastors on a Sunday, he was talking about how cool it was that their small group had been together for 10 years, like a whole decade, like the same group of people, the same group of adults meeting week after week after week. And look, like that's great. Like that's super cool to have the same group of people, to have friendships forged by Jesus that are that uh, long lasting. That's sweet. We need more probably of those kinds of friendships in the church. But, but if maintaining those friendships and like holding those spaces comes at the cost of invitation, 
like for new people to show up, then I'm not sure if it's worth it. Like if, if no one new can get in the inner circle, if the goal is just the preservation of how things are now, then, then every new thing and every new person is just a threat to whatever it is that you think that you have, right? And, and the sad thing is that once that group fizzles out, which at some point it, it will, that's it. Like it's just gone. And that doesn't mean it was wasted. doesn't mean that it was like a bad thing. It's probably a good thing. It just means that it, it maybe could have been something so much more. We're not asking too much if we want like, just God to keep things the way that they've been. What Jesus, I think, is saying here is that we're asking too little, if that's the case. In this prayer, Jesus said that he has given us glory. His glory. It's kind of a big deal. And if, if glory is too much of a church word, and it is a bit of a church word uh, for us, glory throughout the scriptures, it means weight, heft. There's like a heaviness to something. It's importance. It's worthiness. The glory of God is the weight of his splendor, which is weightier than, than anything else. And Jesus has passed glory on to us. Not like a blue ribbon, not like a, a first place trophy that celebrates like who we've already been and what we've already done. It's more like a dad who like gives his little kid an old championship t-shirt from his glory days back in college or whatever. And it doesn't fit yet, but, but it's his kids. Like they can wear it but they're swimming in it. It might make a good like PJ shirt or whatever at night, but there's, there's room to grow before it fits right, but the dad gives it to him. He wants him to have it because he knows that one day it'll fit and he'll wear it rightly. That's the glory that Jesus gives the church. The church matters. The fact that, that you are here this morning, if you're a member here, uh, if you serve, give, if you are uh, gathering with us on a regular basis, you come to us with questions, you want to work through hard stuff together, you lay down your preferences, you express needs and confess sin and sufferings and doubt and all that stuff, you need to know that that stuff matters. That is incredibly important. That is glorious. God has made the church weighty in the world because it carries the weight of showing God to the world. And, and that shirt doesn't always fit right but it's ours to wear and to grow into. And only the church gets to show that Jesus came from the Father and was loved by the Father and is one with the Father by the way that we live together with each other as one in love, sent and supported and served by one another. Listen, God can, like, he can do whatever he wants, right? He can show up however he wants, to whoever he wants to, and do whatever he wants with them. But what Jesus says here is that not yet believing Christians will come to know and believe in Jesus because of us. He says it's through our words that they're going to believe. That's what Jesus said. Like, and it's through our togetherness in the way that we live with one another day to day that's gonna show them whether or not we really believe what we say. If the gospel is good news that we declare with our lips, then unity is the good life that we declare in our relationships. Is that what our relationships are saying? Especially in the church. We get to ask ourselves a few questions to kind of dig into that a bit this morning. First is, what are we preserving in our relationships? Like all of us are preserving something in our relationships. There's something that we'd be willing to fight for, something that we'd be willing to say, 
yes to somebody for or no to somebody for. Something that we'd be willing to confront other people over, and there are things that we're willing to let slide and never talk about. What is that stuff? How have you drawn those lines? What are those things for you? You have to ask yourself the question of what are you trying to preserve in your relationships? Because the church has a future, right? And it certainly cannot look like you, us, forever, right? It can't look like all of us, like that small group with the same 10 people for 10 years, like our slightly larger group of of 200-ish people, it does have an expiration date, all right? Like the, the church, Big C Church, does not have an expiration date. It goes on forever. But, like, but on this side of, of Jesus showing up, on, of resurrection, every single one of our bodies really does have an expiration date, right? And so, so this church's future, so long as it's, it's like us and just looks like this, clock's ticking. And, and so it's a little backwards, but preserving the church doesn't look like keeping everything the same. It looks, like, it looks like what you would imagine if the world around you suddenly started following Jesus. Your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates. The preservation of the church is found in invitation. It's not lost in it. I'll say that again. The preservation of the church is found in invitation. It is not lost in inviting new people to come along. And look, I know some of you like, because I think this sometimes, some of you are thinking like, oh, bro, I can't stand to even like spend first shift with these people. The last thing I want to do is now spend Sunday mornings with these people as well, right? Or maybe somebody drives you nuts in class, or I, you have to see these people at least at Thanksgiving and Christmas every single year, and now I've got to sit in community group with them. That's what you're telling me I have to do or whatever. And look, like I'm down for them meeting Jesus. It'd be just great, though, if they could find another church to go to. Be honest. We have those thoughts sometimes about people. Tell me, what are we trying to preserve there? This bleeds into the second question this morning is, is who are we inviting? But Jesus and the Father, they enjoyed unity uh, long before you and I came around. Uh, the next part of our focal passage says that before the foundation of the world, the Father loved Jesus, right? They were good. They were fine. And then we crashed the party. And despite the mess that we made and the price that it cost to clean it up and the fact that you and I, even after we believe, are still a bit of a wreck, that was not a threat to the unity between Jesus and the Father, like to invite us into the family. And listen, it wasn't a threat to the future of the church for him to invite you into the family or me. Hey, that's good news, right? Are there people who, if you shared the gospel with them, though, you told them about Jesus, you invited them to see this like weird, weighty thing called the church, and they believed Are there people that you would think would be a threat to its future? Your community group or this thing called the village church because I promise that it is not the not yet believing person, whoever that might be for you, who's who's the biggest threat to the future of the church. The biggest threat to the future of the church are the people in the church who view folks outside the church as the threat, right? When, When that's exactly who we are supposed to be inviting in. When you... Imagine the future of the church. You should picture the people that you're going to be around tomorrow. Wherever you're going to be, whatever you're going to be doing. Who are you around tomorrow? 
Picture them redeemed, sitting next to you, singing to Jesus, singing about Jesus. That, when you picture and imagine the future of the church, is what you should see. So, the third question is this. What are we becoming? Because if you're, if you're inviting people, you have to kind of know what you're going to be inviting them into. And so what are, what are we becoming? The answer to this question, according to Jesus, should be, we should be becoming perfectly one. That's kind of a high bar. Uh, that's what the church, before anyone new shows up, like before we invite a single soul, we should know how to answer the question, what are we becoming? Because whatever we're becoming is exactly what we are inviting people into. And sometimes I think we're a little gun shy on inviting folks into life with Jesus and the church because we're not sure that the thing we're becoming can handle whatever it is that they might bring, right? Like I've been a part of a church that I didn't want to invite other people into, I've been there. I've lived that dream. Like while I was there, while I was serving, I was in. I wanted other people to be in with Jesus, but I wasn't sure I wanted other people to be in with this particular church. Wasn't super excited about it. That's not good. Like that is a problem. And so like if you feel that way about this church or about your group or about anything connected with Jesus that you're a part of, you should probably have some conversations about that, right? We should probably talk about that. You should want people to be a part of the thing that you are a part of. But even if you do, want to invite others into the church, if there are certain kinds of people that you just couldn't imagine inviting in that that you don't think would thrive here as part of the body of Christ, that too is a problem. Every week we say that the village is a community formed by the gospel. And that doesn't mean that the gospel just, just like it's the front door to the church, right? Not just formed like the gospel is a sign-up sheet And that's how you like enter the door or whatever. The gospel keeps forming us. The gospel is continuing to form our community by letting us confront and convict and comfort our relationships with real people that are here with the good news about Jesus precisely because by paying for sin, conquering death and defeating every evil power at play, Jesus has eliminated every reason why you or the person sitting next to you or the person that you don't want to sit next to on a Sunday morning or at group might ever be a credible threat to the future of the church. And if that's true, then in your church relationships, there should be a growing, greater feeling of security as time goes on. There should be a growing freedom to both confess sin and, and maybe call it out in other people. It should be easier to hear hard things and to say I'm sorry and to ask for forgiveness and to give forgiveness. We should be finding greater and greater value in, in laying down preferences and not fighting over opinions. Like pettiness should be shrinking in the church over time and the value of serving and generosity should be growing in us. We should be loving more and more the diversity of the body of Christ, the people who are part of the church. Becoming perfectly one means that each of us has to become like the perfect one, who is Jesus. And all that stuff, like that's not extra stuff. That's not stuff that you just do if you like love your church and you have a lot of extra time. That stuff is just discipleship. Like becoming Jesus, becoming like him is is just discipleship. And we don't do that in a vacuum all by ourselves. We do that in relationships with other people. Michael had this in his notes for today, that unity 
uh, becoming one isn't uniformity. It's not everybody sounding and looking and thinking the same. It's not pretending like everything's fine when it really isn't. That's, that's not unity. That's acting. And unity is also not compromise. We don't sweep truth under a rug or minimize the significance of what we believe and why, like just so it's easier for some of us to sit around and sing kumbaya, right, on Sunday morning or, or in groups. We're formed by something and by someone specific, and that's, that's Jesus, what he did and what he said, every single last bit of it. And, and listen, that same Jesus is also the one who gives and who is the universal invitation to all people everywhere to come and believe. So if we ever find ourselves in a place where we're just like not sure if we can invite a particular person or a particular kind of person into life with Jesus in the church, it might be that what's, what's forming us or what's forming the church the most, maybe that's not Jesus. Maybe that's something different. Like if we can't extend the same universal invitation that Jesus did to, to believe him and to follow him together, and I think maybe we have just shined a light on something that, that we get to dig into and that we get to work on, ways that we are not quite perfectly one yet in Jesus. And that's okay. Because whether we like it or not, whether we, we nail it or not, the church has a future together. And that includes room to grow into the glory like Jesus has given us, like both in maturity and in numbers. He says that we get to be one and that we get to become one. And both can be true at the same time, which is really good news. The, the shirt, the t-shirt can be ours. We can wear it and we can also grow into it over time because what makes us one is Jesus. And what will help us become perfectly one is Jesus. Jesus is what brings us together and Jesus is what keeps us together, not as we always have been, but as something even better. And we can bank on that happening because one day he will help us grow into that glory when we stand in his presence, which leads us to the second part of today's uh, sermon. We'll look at John 17, 24 through 26. Just a two-pointer today, all right? So, um, and this is a little bit shorter than the first point. Let's take a look at 24 through 26. Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you, that you've sent me. I may know to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Second point this morning is that the church's future is in glory. The two points are just the main idea. The main idea almost this morning was, hey, there's a sermon to preach, all right? That was almost the main idea, that there is a sermon. Point two, the church's future is in glory. Uh, one of the things that Kelly and I, we usually talk about this sometime around Thanksgiving and Christmas time or whatever, uh, is that, that God willing, the holidays, uh, like what those will be like when we are older. All right, we've, got, we've got five kids and life is sometimes uh, nuts, right now, but we think that, like, just about the holidays and what that could look like when our kids are grown, they're older, maybe some of them find significant others, maybe some have kids at some point down the road, and suddenly our, our family of seven, they can barely fit around our little dining room table now, like, like we'll have to figure something else out, like, there ain't not, there's not enough room for those people, ask our community group, when we hang out in our house, there's not enough room for everybody in here, but, but that picture that we have in our heads, like, 
it's really sweet. It's a, it's a sweet thing to maybe look forward to because, gosh, like, like, what will our kids be like when they're all grown? Like, who will they bring home with them for, for the holidays? What, what will they be like? If they ever have kids, like, what will they be like? There's, there's people I don't know in that picture that we dream about. And there's people I do know, but people who will be different, right? Grow up, and they'll be different than they are right now. They've grown up in the beauty of having everyone around the same table at the same time, all because the Lord brought Kelly and I together. Like, that's a pretty sweet thing. And it's a good reminder on, on tough days, tough seasons, uh, like what the long game is. Like, we get to love one another in, in this thing in a way that not only, like, keeps room for the people who are already here, but will make room for whoever they might bring along one day. That's what we're doing. And in his prayer, Jesus has a future table in mind as well that, that shapes what he is asking for, and it should shape the way that we relate with one another in the present. Jesus has in mind a future where his people, like all of his people, present and future, are with him in his full glory, in his presence, whether that is in heaven or whether that's at the resurrection when he raises us all from the dead and, and brings us back to life forever and new bodies on a new earth to be with him and one another for eternity. Either way, he's going to need a bigger table than the one they've broken bread over and reclined at so far, him and his disciples. And that picture of a bigger table where all of his people have a seat, that should change the way that we interact with our brothers and sisters in Christ today. Real talk for a second, like unity is hard. Like we kind of already hit on that a bit, but the glory that God gives us to carry in this world, it, it is like a weight sometimes. It does bear down on us to see things differently, to have conversations that we otherwise wouldn't have in the world and to, to, to put ourselves out there, to put Jesus out there when we'd rather just say nothing and take the path of least resistance. The problem is that that path never leads to peace. The path of least resistance never leads to peace. And the thing about living on, on this side of being with Jesus is that even if you walk that path, it, it doesn't always turn out the way that you want it in the here and the now. It doesn't always feel like Jesus wins in your relationships, even inside the church. I'm not a guy who loves conflict. I'm not a, I don't think I'm a drama queen. Maybe some of you would describe me that way. Never been told that before in my life. Uh, if you know me, I think you know that like flying under the radar, that is my preferred altitude of living, all right? That's why I would love to spend all of my days is under the radar. Conflict's normal, conflict's necessary, even good at times, but I don't like go looking for it. But, but it happens because I'm human, right? And other humans are also human. And so that occurs. Uh, and just this week, like long before I knew I was preaching this sermon, I asked somebody, a fellow believer, who, like, we just, like, grab coffee. Uh, it's a relationship that isn't quite settled. I, I used the word, hey, could we sit down? Could we reconcile a bit? And so I asked him in person in front of people and, and my kids or whatever. And that person, they, they looked at me, and they said no. Uh, many of us would respond in, in many different ways to being told no to that. Uh, in the moment afterwards, I don't explode. Uh, I implode. That's what I do uh, in situations like that. And so I just go inside my head and in my heart. Oh, but, but look, here's the wrong lesson to take away from that. And I'm talking to myself here. Fighting for unity doesn't work. That is not the lesson to take away from this. 
that fighting for unity doesn't work or that it's not worth it. Or, or like, that's it. Like, and I just put the, the final nail in the coffin of a relationship because maybe I said or did something that like I wasn't supposed to do. I don't know. Like, that's the wrong stuff to take away from, from that situation and other situations that I'm sure you guys have been in that are somewhat similar, even though it would be really easy to walk away and think that's exactly right. Do you know why? We can't walk away. That those are the wrong things to learn because right here in this passage, Jesus has given us a picture where that person and I, we are sitting at Jesus' table together and we are feasting and we are laughing. We are enjoying each other. And maybe that picture becomes reality sooner rather than later or maybe that's a reality that only exists far into the future when Jesus fixes everything in all of us and he spreads a table large enough for all of us to fit around and we don't care who's sitting next to us because we know that everyone who's there is supposed to be there and is safe and has so much more in common with us in Christ than we have different in anything else. But what I know for sure is that the unity that Jesus fought for does work. It will work and it is worth it to pursue unity here now because that's why Jesus came to die to overcome the stuff that gets in the way of us being one first with him second between each other whether that's sin that feels just insurmountable or suffering that just makes it too hard or evil that feels like it has just too tight of a grip on whatever it is or death that snatches people away before we had a chance to make amends Jesus overcomes all of that whatever final nail in the coffin you think might exist in your relationships, Jesus took that nail out and let himself be hung on it instead. And sometimes, sometimes we get a hug after those conversations and an I'm sorry and an I forgive you and I love you. Sometimes we do get that. The glory of a unified church is weight. It's heavy And there is a part, especially in this world, in which the weight of glory can feel like a burden. But it's such a gift to have hope. To live as if that hope actually might be real. And to live that way today, even if it means getting shot down sometimes. Your alternative, our alternative, is cynicism, it's isolation. All the walls up. That person's dead to me. This relationship is a lost cause. I'm not going to let myself get hurt again, which, which we all think will keep us safe. But applied over and over and over again will only make us lonely. This hope of the glory of the church isn't a wish. It's not a pipe dream. It's not a maybe. It's a, it's a 100% certainty that we become perfectly one with one another in the end because Jesus said so. And so think about your brothers and sisters in Christ at that table. 
That's how we get to see each other as the church. See them for who they are today. Like, don't be unwise. Don't be ignorant about maybe unsafe situations or things that aren't good or ready to pursue in that way. But as a church, we both have the responsibility and the privilege of the glory of the gospel to see every brother or sister as if one day we're going to sit next to them at the table and ask them to pass the Chick-fil-A sauce because we will. Because that's going to happen, and it's not going to be awkward. It's not going to be scary. It's, it's going to be glorious. Church, that is hard, though, right? That is very difficult, but that is our end. That's how all of this winds up. All of this winds up around a table. And so you and I, we as a community, we should be coming that. I don't know if that's proper grammar, but we should be becoming that. We get to become that right here and right now in our relationships with one another and with people even outside these walls. Not making a bunch of little tables, little tables that we can all sit at comfortably with our own little group or by ourselves like mean girls, lunchtime, cafeteria stuff or whatever. Like, like, but we get to preserve the one big table that's built by Jesus. That's what we should be keeping because that's our future by grace with every single person in this room who confesses that Jesus is Lord, whether you like it right now or not. And if you don't, hey, guess what? Jesus is praying for you. <laughs> because he, he is, like in this passage, he's asking the Father that you would remember his name. His name that's mighty to save and the love with which he loved Jesus, with which he now loves you. Even when you get shot down, even when you chicken out and you put it off, and you don't pursue peace, he still loves you. Even when you want to hate your brother or sister and the world would say that you have every reason to do that, Jesus wants the love of the Lord to be first and foremost in front of your eyes before and during and after you pursue unity or you give up on it for a while, right? Because it's his name and his love and his unity with us that carries us home and it finishes the job. And so if you feel like the Spirit this morning is maybe telling you that you've got a, a conversation like that that maybe you need to have, then like here's a few things. And these won't be on the screen because I wrote these after I sent my slides in this morning. And so uh, the Kermit the Frog gif where he's on the typewriter, that's what was happening today. Uh, if you've seen that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, here's a few things to be mindful of. One, soak the conversation in the gospel. Like before you show up, as soon as you show up, and after you're done, if you've got the opportunity, remind yourself of who you are to the Lord and remind yourself of who you are to the person that's in front of you or is going to be in front of you. And, and maybe you're a sibling in Christ, right? Or, or maybe you're an ambassador of reconciliation to that person who doesn't know Jesus yet. But either way, like you can declare out loud in your head and also with your mouth, like in your prayers and everything else, as part of your conversation, a reminder for both of you what establishes your relationships and even the future glory that you might have together as brothers or sisters in Christ. So that's the first thing. Soak the conversation in the gospel. The second thing is don't go in to solve the problem or fix the issue, but go in to glorify God. Because whether the problem is solved or the conflict is resolved or understanding is had, you can image the patient, loving, honest, long-suffering nature and character of God. No matter what the person across the table might say or not say back to you, like you being one with and becoming like Jesus is not dependent on the outcome of any conversation that you have with any human. It doesn't make it easy. 
right? But, but if you go into finding a win that's something outside of your control, then you are in some ways setting yourself up to lose. Because unity is hard, it takes time. It takes twists and turns to work stuff out in relationships. And also because you don't know what the, the Lord's wanting to do that day. You just don't. You're not setting the agenda for that conversation or that meeting. And so you shouldn't assume he wants to tie everything up with a nice neat little bow after 30 minutes and a a cup of coffee. That might not be the case. So don't go in to solve the problem and get a result. Go in to glorify the Lord and what you're imaging to that person. And the third thing is this. Let Jesus carry the hope of your heart. It's easy to be cynical. It is easy to to be burnt and callous. And realism is not a bad thing. It's more, maybe I hang out more... I sense myself becoming more jaded over time and I am actively fighting that with this stuff that I'm telling you right here. It's hard. It's it's true that the best way to predict what might happen next is to see the pattern of how things have played out, right? When you look back, that might be the best indication of what's gonna happen down the road. But when we're talking about Jesus and we're talking about the work of the gospel, we're not talking about a future that's dictated by someone else's past, by their past actions or past words. We're talking about the power of God for salvation, the message of reconciliation, the Holy Spirit who lives and acts and moves apart from you or I or somebody else, like different than we would normally do or naturally do because he's supernatural, right? And sometimes the most supernatural things that you will ever experience in life is unity where you thought that there would be none, or it's reconciliation where you thought it was over, or even hope in your own heart, despite being torn up and dragged through the mud and just calloused over the years. Those things are supernatural. The church has a future together in glory, and Jesus was sweet enough to not just like pray for us a while back that we might remember like the goodness of God and the gospel, although that would be enough. But he also gave us a table that we all get to come to today. And it's not a future table. It is a present table that reminds us of the past, like the last meal that Jesus ate with his friends, but that points us and helps us live a little bit more in light of our future as we all come to the same table together. It's what we call the Lord's table. It's what we call communion. Right? And we get to come to it every single week as a declaration of our unity with the Father because of Jesus and as a declaration of our oneness in the gospel as a church. That regardless of how different we are or how much beef that we've had between us right, over the years, man, the Lord pulls up a chair for each of us at the same table and invites us to come and to share the same source of hope in life, which is Jesus himself, his life, his death, and his resurrection that he accomplished on our behalf to bring us all together. The band can come on up. This table on this thing, the bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for us to bring us in. And and the juice represents the blood that Jesus spilled to make peace between us and God and one another. And this table, like these two tables that are up here, these are for believers only. Right? If you're not a believer this morning, you're not a Christian, you're not sure if you are, like this is not for you, but the gospel 
could not be more for you this morning. The invitation is for you to come and believe. I would love to pray with you, talk with you back there. There are folks that are gonna be back by that red tree who would love to talk and pray with you as well. And if you wanna meet Jesus today, you wanna confess and believe, we would love to come up and take communion with you for the first time today, all right? But this table is for believers. And if you're a Christian, as we tell you every week, uh, we want you to reflect and repent and respond And there'll be some questions up on the screen uh, to help you think through some of those things. But to take this seriously so that when you come up here, you can declare, man, you know what? I'm a wreck or this thing's a wreck. And yet Jesus is my hope and he is my peace and he is my glory. But specifically this morning, in light of what Jesus shared with us, his prayer for you today, I want you to consider if there are people in this room that you need to reconcile with. Maybe you rode together with them this morning. Might be true. Maybe you didn't ride together this morning because of that very reason. But if there are people that you need to reconcile with, do that. Have that conversation and then come up together to the same table at the same time and respond with gratitude and thanksgiving and worship how sweet Jesus is. So take the next few minutes. You can think on the stuff, think on the questions that are up there, pray, with folks who are back there, you can sing with the band. Just invite you to pray at your seats and consider what the Spirit would have you do this morning.